Well, greetings, ladies and gentle nerds, and welcome to the Speculating Nerd Podcast. I am your host, Neo, and this is Creator's Corner with the fantastic Mindy Wheeler. Alrighty, ladies and gentle nerds, this is the event of the year. <laughs> Please welcome the amazing, spectacular Mindy Wheeler. <laughs> Hello, madam. Hello. Thank uh, you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it so much for t- you taking your time to do this little tiny show. <laughs> well, you're very, very nice to have me on, and um, yeah, I'm very happy to be here. Uh, so, uh, how are you, first of all? You doing good? Oh, doing fine, yep. Right now, I'm in the fulfillment stage of my book, so I'm just kind of quietly sketching away every day and working on campaign two, and that's what keeps me busy every day. Oh, very good. Drawing. Drawing. Yeah. Guess what keeps the wheels turning. So tell us about yourself. Who is Mindy Wheeler? What is your origin story? Ah, my origin story. As far as uh, comics or personal, I guess I didn't. I I should ask for clarification on that one. (laughs) All right, let's go into comics. Uh, What got you into comics originally? Is that uh, was that your gateway into art and writing? What what was that? What 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 got you into? uh, Like, what was that book? What was that story? What 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 was it? Hmm. Uh, well, comics wasn't my first introduction to art. I've just been drawing since I was old enough to hold a pencil. Um, and, and so is my daughter, too. You know, it's just something that runs in my family, I guess. Uh, we're very creative people every other generation or so. And so I've always, always been drawing, painting, making films. Uh, doing photography, and I worked in many different fields creatively doing stuff like that, making commercials, making ads, uh, illustrating books, making logos, like, you know, before comics, uh, years before comics. So I did pick up a couple comics when I was young, um, and then when I was a teenager, I, I got a little bit more of a taste of that. And honestly, it was a lot of manga um, on that side of town, so I did read quite a bit of manga, but as far as American comic books and something I really did have that draw to, like that one book for me, would be Spawn, uh, oh. McFarlane stuff. Very yeah, cool. <laughs> I, I liked that. Yes, I really like McFarlane's uh, stuff and, and his art especially. Yeah, do you and looking what back issue? at it now... I'm huh? sorry, do you remember what issue? Oh, I don't know. It was a modern issue at the time. You know, it would have been back in, um, uh, I don't even know, back when I was in high school, like maybe maybe 2014 or 20, 2000, or I'm sorry, 2004. 
2002, uh, something like something around there. Um, so it's not 90s, but it's a little after the whole 90s. And my husband's a big, you know, 90s image comics, like he knows all about that. And he shared that with me. And that's still my draw, too. As I went right back to the spawn number one McFarland stuff. So that's my home, I guess, in my head when it comes to art and comics is that style um, that particular creator, McFarlane, I really look up to him and what he's done with McFarlane Toys. So um, I didn't really find comics, though, as like a profession until um, uh, after I was married to my husband. He didn't even know that I drew, actually, when we got married. And I didn't know that he collected comics. And it was just so happened we decided to go to Phoenix Comic Con one year. And I saw all of the artists there. And then it clicked, wow, you know, people draw for a living. People do this for a living. That's something I never had been exposed to before. And it was that fire. I think that year was 2014 or maybe 13. And that was when I first took it seriously. And I picked up a pencil again after many years of not drawing and started making comic book art. Wow, that's amazing. And relatively (laughs) not that long ago. Wow. Yeah, not that long ago. Yeah, there's been several periods of my life where I've given up on art. My family uh, always supported me and kind of pushed me in the direction of being an artist for a living. And I actually didn't want to be. I refused this idea so many times because I didn't think it was a stable path financially. And that was really important to me was to find my own independence because of all the, the, what was personally going on, you know, with my family and my life. So I avoided it and I got into marketing instead. So I worked in marketing uh, and management, directing people, managing uh, like digital sales and creating graphic designs and, and did that um, instead. So it wasn't until I was more settled down with my husband that I could have the time, you know, to do the, the things that I loved. So there was a period of maybe seven years and then another one of two or three years where I didn't draw. I just totally quit it. And then it was a little rough getting back into it. Oh, wow. That's a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so you were more into, uh, into corporate dealings then, right? Yep, definitely. Yep. I worked in all kinds of things. I worked for a newspaper. I worked for a vitamin company. I worked for a dental always very very creative uh my positions in work and i find that that has been extremely useful now that i'm running kickstarters Mm -hmm. because that's pretty much exactly what my jobs were in the past were like customer service relations and marketing coming up with fun cool gifts um you know, email marketing, graphic design, all of my skills just so happen to fall into the perfect puzzle piece of what I'm doing now. Plus, I get to draw and write. So I'm super happy with how that all happened. That's, <laughs> That's cool. perfect for me. Yeah, very. Um, so what, you started in the corporate domain. When did you start doing, like you said, uh, the the art for advertising and, and, and stuff like that. You said you uh, did uh, 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 and, and also the directing and um, th- mm-hmm. yeah. so when, when did that start? After Was that right after the corporate thing or was it during that time frame? And you're like, hey, I can do this. During. 
Yeah, it was during. I think I, I kind of, my family and I had a really big falling out when I was about uh, 17 or 18, and it was really rocky there. And I uh, I went to, like, a community college for a bit, and I was doing some online stuff, and my, my education got so jacked up. I graduated from high school when I was 16, um, and then I was just, like, lost. <laughs> and, and plus the falling out from my family, there were some really rough years. So instead of being able to afford to go to college for art, which I really didn't want to do, um, because I saw that all the classes were the same, they just kind of, like, produced the same results, all the graphic design courses, they just pumped out students with the same resumes. And I, and working as a manager, I realized that later when I actually managed artists at the newspaper, that's exactly what I saw. People would turn in resumes and be the same exact looking. I didn't think it was very unique. It just wasn't for me. So I just worked as a freelancer. Um, I did many, many different jobs. I've had like 35 different jobs doing random things all the way from being a dancing banana at Jamba Juice to um, like a, <laughs> to a marketing director at a dental office. But every single one of them have been really uh, random and creative. And a lot of the jobs were gigs that I did uh, freelance work, logo design, uh, you know, and that's how I started was doing freelance work. And then I built up a resume and started getting, action, you know, more serious jobs in, in bigger companies that, you know, could see that history. Um, and then eventually I went, I met my husband when I was doing marketing and, uh, we kind of broke away from that and started to do our own stuff. And that's when he showed me comics. So that was the pivoting point, but it was always sort of corporate. Does that make sense? It was always corporate, but it was always really creative too. Right. A balance of both, you know, 50, 50. Mm-hmm. Yeah. About 50, 50 the whole time since, since when I was about 16, 17 on. Wow. So... You met your husband, and then you—that's what—that was your full-on gateway into comic books, right? Yes. Yeah, I would have loved to read them, but I didn't have the time uh, before. I was just so busy working. I, I worked many years of like three jobs at a time, and I was struggling financially. Um, but when I did finally get into it, I thought comics were awesome—like the most amazing medium ever. Especially because I always loved film. And I dabbled in it a little bit, creative film and commercials and, and short films before. So it's just like that, but on paper. And I think that's so, so cool because I always wanted to do film. Nice. So I immediately attached myself to it, and I thought it was amazing. Well, there's always still time for that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how, how did you break into the comics industry? How, how did that go? Uh, that was um, after the Phoenix Comic Con. Um, we lived in Arizona back then. I went to a show or two, and um, I saw the artists. And we always have been about doing our own little sort of entrepreneur things. So we were at the show with our own little table, and I was selling a couple of pieces of art, just kind of seeing what happened. Um. You know, I didn't know anything about the industry or anybody in it. I didn't know the history of it. I didn't know who was in charge. I was just there selling a couple of pieces that I had just decided to do and see what happened. And um, I met Jamie Tyndall there. He was right across from me, and I he said, you know, uh, would you want to color a piece for me? So that was the first piece I colored was for him. And then it was just really kind of 
spotty from there on out because the comic industry itself I discovered was quite spotty. Like there's not really a a clear ladder to climb and that was quite a struggle for me for a while. Uh, you know, I'd go and ask publishers or ask writers, hey, how do you find your artists? And they all had these weird answers. <laughs> you know, there's no like place to apply. Really, there's a, I, there was no clear direction. So coming from the more corporate, structured, you know, world, that was really foreign to me. So I just did the best I could. I just kept making pieces. I traveled to shows. Um, I did build a following from people who liked my work. I put out a sketchbook. Um, and I got a few gigs here and there. I worked for uh, Zenoscope. I did a couple of pinups for them, for Grim Fairy Tales. And then um, I worked, eventually I did a dynamite cover of a Vampirella. I worked for smaller publishers like Rothic. Uh, I did a cover for Counterpoints, uh, worked with them on that. And um, I don't even remember. <laughs> like wow. I, I honestly, I forget the names. There were, oh, there were individuals I colored pieces for too. Jason Metcalf, Jamie Tindall. Um, when I worked for Rothick, I colored for Don uh, McTeague. Uh, oh, I did a Joe Bushima IDW. I colored under his pencils for ROM. That was really cool. That was a comic book uh, shop in Vegas. They're exclusive. Um, and so just kind of like random work. And, and, and that lasted several years. And during these years, I, I got frustrated quite a bit off and on because of the same issue I told you where it, it was very difficult to figure out why and how to get hired exactly. Mm -hmm. um, and there was all kinds of industry drama kind of surrounding that. So that I just, I just did the best I could. Now I do my own stuff and I regret not starting out that way. I should have started out with my own books. You know, that's the direction for sure. Now, now I know that now that's clear, but it wasn't clear then. And Kickstarter wasn't even a thing then, no. you know, for books. Yeah. No. So it was just me traveling to shows. I just traveled selling selling artwork all over the country oh, for wow. a couple of years. That's amazing. Yep. <laughs> That's amazing. And I, I, I never, I, as much as I love comics and I, and I think I know what I know, I had no idea there's no real structure. There's no, it's, because of course it's based on something that was like, hey, we just print these things and if we make money, we make money. If we don't, we don't. And then we go under and then we try and print something else. I had no mm -hmm. idea there was no actual ladder, like corporate ladder type thing to this thing. Unless, you know, unless you're deep in those trenches, I guess, right? I think that their business models have been undergoing very dramatic changes over the past, uh, you know, 10 years since I've been doing it. So it's been almost 10 years now I've been working in it. Um, you know, I think the most clear shot, most structured work I ever got was from Ultra Pro. They do all the card stuff. I, I think I applied, I submitted through email or something, and then they got back to me and they had like an actual contract and an actual um uh, outline of my project with the different tasks and a project management, you know, layout. Like that was the stuff I was used to. Yeah, I used to make those myself for projects. Um, so that sort of management was was refreshing. But they are the only one I've ever seen do that. Most of the publishers don't even have contracts. Um, it, it was very weird to me. I just straight up weird. And I uh, the weirdest response 
um, came from a publisher at a show. I went up to them with my portfolio, and they looked at it. This was, I don't know, maybe like 2015 or something. And uh, they said, oh, this works really good. I said, well, cool. Like, thanks. You know, that's supposed to mean, like, you know, you have work. I said, great. You know, what can, can you, will you hire me? And they go, oh, well, you know, here's what you got to do to get hired. You got to put out a book uh, for free online. And when it goes viral, we'll call you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. You're kidding Yeah. Me. <laughs> Oh my God! You have, <laughs> basically, you have to do a lot of hard work on your own, and then we'll come see you yeah. if it's good. You know, if you got to... yeah, the, the oh, publishers yes. changed their model to hire people who would bring them online followers. I remember talking with Jim Shooter about this, and he was just as frustrated as I was. And you know, you could be someone who doesn't know how to even draw a background. Uh, and I colored for people like that. Sometimes I colored their backgrounds. And that was frustrating because I could draw backgrounds, but I wasn't qualified for the job. And I had to draw someone else's background that couldn't draw it because they had more Instagram followers than me. Huh. So I saw how backwards it was. I mean, that was my assumption. That was what I took away from that whole experience. Um and that was a long time ago. I don't remember all the details, but I remember that those thoughts running through my head, and that seemed to be the answer from everyone I got is basically, oh, we care about your online following, whether you have talent or not. And check this out. This is one of the most weird experiences. Um, I did get invited to San Diego Comic-Con. That was cool. Uh, by Sam, I think his name was in 2015 or something like that. Uh, he saw me exhibiting at WonderCon, and he saw my art, and he said, this looks really great. You should come to San Diego. And I thought, oh, my God, awesome. So I did. And then when I was at San Diego, they do this talent submission thing, and they get, I don't know how how many thousands of submissions, a lot of submissions, right? Yeah. And then they go through them, and they pick something like 10 people during the whole show, and they give them a portfolio review. And I got chosen, and I thought – that was, you know, it. Like, Marvel was interested in me. I was so excited. I even cried a little bit. I was so happy. Then I do this portfolio re review. I go into the the display at the show. They have this kind of secret room in the middle of their big stand in the middle of the floor. You go into the room. It's actually a business sort of meeting room. They looked at my portfolio, and they said the same thing. They go, yeah, this is good. But he didn't actually give me any more feedback than that and and i found that to be a consistent problem no one was willing to critique my art and i was so hungry for somebody to give me critique because they, i kept getting people saying this is really good but then not hiring me so i couldn't understand what the problem was and then marvel did this thing where they put me on this never-ending interview and I've found another artist since that's also been stuck in the Marvel never-ending interview where they send you a list of, like, 10 or 15 covers to do, and they go, submit, you know, like, three to five. We'll give you some feedback. And you do that, and then they just keep telling you to submit. And so it's it's very confusing. And I submitted maybe, like, two of them, and then I just couldn't afford to do it anymore. I didn't have the time. Mm -hmm. 
and I was a lot slower. I was more of a cover artist that would spend 30, 40 hours on a piece. Now I'm more of a sequential artist, and I got to do a page a day. So I've changed what I do, and I kind of dropped that whole model because it was I couldn't afford I couldn't afford to give away the free time, honestly. Yeah, I don't. And um, then. Yeah, it was the whole starving artist thing, I guess, and I just wasn't up for that. And the next year, Marvel pulled out of San Diego or something, and they started hiring foreign artists and dropping their page rates. So I don't even think it was totally all about me. I think that they just decided to stop hiring a bunch of artists in the States Oh my God! at that time. So it was a bad time. It was bad timing too. So yeah, yeah sorry I've been talking a lot, but that's no, that was the weirdness is, of my experience. <laughs> this about, no, this is again, this is about you and your experiences, and it, this is this is mind blowing for me because you would think they'd have you know some kind of structure and some kind of actual like. Uh, I don't know. I, I, to to me, that sounds like they're still thinking like how Stan Lee and them were thinking. We can go out of business tomorrow. You know, that was their whole thing. Oh, interesting. That was, yeah, that was their whole thinking back in the day. That like, oh, we can go out of business tomorrow if you know we don't hit the right sales. So it's almost like wow. It's almost as if they're stuck like that. That's what that sounds like to me. Like we don't have a plan beyond this time frame. You know, and and you, know, that's you don't think really interesting. Yeah, and it, th- at least that's what I'm I'm getting from this because it's like, what I mean, and and plus they had you do almost thirty plus hours and didn't pay you for those covers. That was what they were or, asking or of that... me. Yeah, I I turned in two of them, and yeah, at the time I was because uh, there's kind of two different types of artists in the industry. You can be a cover artist and spend you know, however much time it makes you to make one really beautiful piece. But a lot of times the people who have that skill don't have the skill to bust out sequentials, which is just, you know, crazy madness, crazy, excuse me, crazy hard. Um, it's a totally different skill level to do sequentials. And the people that do sequentials don't usually do covers. So I changed. I was cover artist mode and I, and it took, it, it was very difficult. Then I have switched now into sequential. But yeah, they were asking me to do covers. And at the time, it took me about 30 hours for each cover. So I submitted two. It didn't go anywhere. And then I considered it not worth my time. Yeah, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Because especially if you're, you're, you're putting that much time and effort into it and not seeing any type of return on it, whether it's feedback or uh, financial, like, fuck it. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> exactly. I got one response for my first one, and it was a little bit of feedback, but, you know, no real direction about what was going to happen beyond that. And then I did a second, and then I think also around that same time, their direct talent manager left, either left or got promoted, but either way, it was a different email now. It had changed. It was somebody else. So, again, you know, that was just a nail in the coffin to me of like, okay, well, now I have to start from scratch with somebody else too, on top of it. So I, it just wasn't worth my time. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't uh, if they would have, they saw all my art. I had like fifty pieces. You know what I mean? Of of fan art, whatever kind of art, original art that they already saw. So at that point, it's like either hire me or not. 
right? Yeah. Why do you have to make me do more work? Why you already can see what I... Yeah. Wow. But God bless you that you kept you, you, you kept going, which leads us to my favorite, probably my favorite thing in the world. You know, and, and yeah, probably the most favorite thing in the world, boobs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what led uh, to boobs? Tell us about boobs. Uh, how great are they? And uh, how great is this, uh, this book called Boobs, which uh, I learned uh, from you is a triple entendre or quadruple entendre? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Right, so tell it's, us about it. It's it's a it's an awesome book. I've had a blast. We uh, released it on Kickstarter April first, April Fools this this last or this year, and uh, we did really well on it. I think it made something like twenty seven nine, almost twenty eight thousand. I think. Oh, wow. Uh, right around there, and it was the best experience as experience I've ever had in comics like just hands down it was fun uh the book is funny it's a satire parody comedy so to give you a comparison of what that should look like south park is a satire yes so you know south park is full of jokes you know every two seconds through every episode about everyone and everything and how silly the world is and that's where the entendre comes in this is about a uh, well-endowed cosplayer in the comic industry. She's going around at conventions, uh, and it's about her always kind of finding herself into trouble. <laughs> so you've got boobs because she has big boobs. They call her boobs because of an incident <laughs> in the first issue, okay. and that's her nickname. And then boobs is also a you know old term for idiot or fool or silly person. So you've got oh, all that satire. Hmm? <laughs> oh, you're such a boob. Yes. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So not she's not just a boob, but everyone in the book is a boob. Nice. You know, it's about boobs <laughs> in, in more ways than one. And so, of course, every industry, it, I, you know, I really play on the experiences we had in the industry, good and bad. In, in the whole book because I think it wouldn't be a good read or, you know, funny if we didn't. Mm -hmm. So all the silly things that I've seen, you know, wrapped all into just fictional jokes and funny characters uh, has made this book really enjoyable because the whole industry before that, uh, I didn't feel was like treated me very well. And uh, it was just, it was a horrible experience, to be honest, for something that I came into being so excited about and so passionate about. I had so many bad experiences with people and publishers and that whole lack of direction. And there was a lot of political polarization. I've been trolled um, based on my politics more than once. Um, I've been ostracized because of them and just terrible. I've had a lot of terrible not just bad, but terrible experiences. And I quit comics, I think like twice since I started, but I really, really quit them after Comicsgate in 2018. And I took about two years off. <clears throat> Excuse me, I swallowed the wrong way. But now I'm back and I'm having a blast. So that's, that's we kind of turned that and made it into something positive. And I'm having fun. What? I keep... 
I keep hearing Comicsgate, and I've gotten some, uh, especially mostly on Twitter. That's where I was introduced to Comicsgate. What the fuck is Comicsgate? <laughs> I don't know what it is. I, they give me so many different, like, um, you know, explanations, but I still can't wrap my head around it. Like, what it? What is Comicsgate? Is it a gate that's made of comics, or is it what? What is it? <laughs> you know, it's been in, it's been interesting. So, um, I, I personally lean more conservative with my politics. And if you're going to ask me the definition of conservative, I'm a very uh, I love history. So actually, conservatism stems from the uh, French Revolution. It's not tied to any specific policy like abortion or whatever. Okay. Um, and um, so that there's a lot of that going on in the industry. Comicsgate is very political, in my personal opinion. And I found it because I thought, because it seemed to advertise itself as a sort of safe space for people who leaned more conservative. That was back in 2018, and I had been kind of bullied a little bit um, and ostracized by people who went more left. And we've seen that taken to an extreme now. So I, I think people's true colors have been shown quite a bit, but it was it was a lot less murky. Like you know, before George Floyd or before COVID or before yeah. anything inflammatory. You know, people intermingled left and right. And I think that was starting to break. And um, the mainstream was, I think, pretty adamant about kicking people out that didn't agree with whatever, left or right. If they didn't just agree with the one narrative, I I saw that a lot. You know, the publishers kind of have these puppet strings on the artists. And I think that's part of the reason why uh, there's no clear direction Uh of how to move up in the publisher realm. It's because there's so many politics. So I... The Comicscape blew up because it supposedly was, um, well, Ethan Vanskyver came on the scene and he made this kind of claim or whatever, something like that, that he got fired from DC, DC because of his conservative beliefs from the mainstream. And I kind of attached to that and thought, oh, my God, that's kind of just what I went through. So then I reached out to hashtag Comicscape um, on Twitter and I got a lot of traction because of my story and my history. Mm-hmm. And then they turned around and trolled me like two months later. So oh, wow. <laughs> trolled me off the Internet. So there's a lot of controversy surrounding that group. Uh, before Ethan got there, it actually was in existence already, but I didn't you know, know about it. Yeah. But it started as a supposedly consumer movement of people who were disenfranchised with the quality of the books, the uh, political agendas being pushed in the books, and just thought that they were in general kind of taking the IPs of the characters and distorting them away from what they loved about them um, into things that were more of political puppets. And people had all kinds of different personal, you know, political viewpoints on this, but it it was very political in that way Uh that Comicsgate was about consumers getting quality books instead of just, you know, propaganda, I would Uh, say, and trash and trash. And they wanted to be treated right and held and hold their creators and the publishers uh, accountable for these things. But when Ethan came on the scene, things changed quite a bit because he was quite popular. And um, then I found out that it wasn't the conservative cause that I thought it was. 
uh, in my opinion. And um, I poked around in it for a little bit, and I saw a lot of really toxic trolling going on behind the scenes in the sort of more popular higher-up circles that I disapproved of. So I announced that I was separating myself from the movement, um, and then five or six days later, uh, and I had approached Ethan, too, about building a comic skate app because I thought that was cool. And that was nothing foreign. People, being a consumer movement, people were coming up with all kinds of ideas, like, let's build a CG website. Let's build a CG distribution network. Let's build a CG printer, because they all wanted to make good books. So then you had creators making their own books. It was like a huge people's movement. Yeah, I'm sorry, King. You're fine. Yeah, uh... Give me, I'm sorry, I'm getting a phone call at the same time. I'm You're so sorry. Give, You're fine. Give, uh, give me one moment. Um, uh, I'm sorry. Give me one moment. You're fine. Um, Um, hold that thought, okay? I'm sorry. Okay. We're going to take a brief intermission. Brief intermission. I'll be right back, okay? Okay. All right. All right. Uh, sorry about that. That brief interlude that we had. Um, I had a little, slightly important phone call I had to, not take, but I had to just, uh, uh, text someone. So we're back with Mindy Wheeler. Very sorry about that. Um, so, uh, we we got so Comicscape was like if you weren't you weren't left you weren't right you were right in the middle that's what conservatism is right. Um, conservatism at its core, and for me personally, I view it this way too. I've done a lot of reading into it. It's about organic growth. That's really the heart of it. Organic um, growth, and so people can can say that word and attach it to policies, but over the past, you know, 150 years, it's changed quite a bit. It depends on the country, depends on the politics and the policies. It just really means organic growth. And so when you think about diversity and all of the people that were complaining about the changes in IPs, Mm -hmm. you can see how that comes off as a conservative cause because it's not an organic change Uh, you know, a naturally occurring uh, character development. It's pushed because of politics. I get it. So that's where a lot of the confusion... Yeah, you get it. Okay. Yeah, no, I get it. Because it's like... Okay, for example, you have the Incredible Hulk, and then all of a sudden you put that name on another character who's not the Incredible Hulk but has the same powers. Basically, uh, uh, what uh, Amadeus Cho. I think they called him the Totally Awesome Hulk. Uh, and I don't think for me, it wasn't, it wasn't because he was Asian or anything like that. It's just, you're taking, you're trying to make a legacy character be the character, uh, if that makes any sense. Uh, they could, um, yeah. and eventually I guess they spun him off, brought back Bruce Banner and then, of course, we have the Hulk, but I, I, I also, see, I also see the other side of that as you're testing the waters. Can this character succeed? You know, 
in this in, in this world. But uh, I guess you're kind of uh, having your cake and eating it too. Like, oh, it's still under it's still the Incredible Hulk title, but this is a new character that we're putting into it. You know, instead of just giving that character his own title, his own origin, his own uh, growth into someone people will love. Am, am I correct in that assumption? Yes, yes, exactly. And you see how it gets really murky and messy, especially with uh, the 2016 election was going on shortly before that, where you've got everybody calling each other racist or uh, homophobic. So if they change the character's race or uh, gender or sexuality, you got those comments coming from one side of the aisle. And then you've got comments from the other side of the aisle saying, well, you're pushing this agenda. And there was just so much fighting, right? Okay. But what your, your customer base of observation you just gave me is absolutely correct. You could kind of go each way with it. You could say, well, those stories are out of date. But the thing is, in combination with the way the publishers seem to be treating everyone and with just how much outrage the fans had, it seemed like there were much uh, more, many more people who didn't like the changes that did. So it seemed like the publishers just blatantly were ignoring their own fans and yeah. giving them content they didn't want. And that, I think, is the biggest complaint. And that's where CG came in, starting as a consumer movement, looking for quality books that actually, you know, from people who listened to what they wanted. Yeah. And then it just became, it evolved into, you know, what it is, like what some people view it as, or it is what it is. I'm not entirely sure. Again, I'm not deep into, like I, like I started the, the, the question, I don't know anything too much about it until now. Thank you so much. Um, well, um, it's a lot of drama. It's, yeah. it's turned into a lot of really popular talking heads on YouTube, and you can join the cause, but then it, there's just a lot of drama. And yeah. I personally felt that there was no difference between the mainstream drama and the comic drama or the ostracization. Yeah. I personally was... Um, you know, went through that again, and so did many other creators, and I think it was competition-based, where they just went, oh, well, you know, you're not confiscated anymore, or whatever, and there's so many lies, and trolling, and bullying, it was exactly the same as the mainstream, wow. and and then it came out later that Dynamite was actually part of funding uh, Comicsgate, the movement, through Ethan. You can look that up on Google. This Dynamite CEO was secretly funding it behind the scenes. So that observation was correct. It was the same oh. people. But yeah, you see? So, so, oh, so it never had, ended. They had, they had industry backing. Right. And they were claiming they were like some indie movement kicking the mainstream SJW's butts. So you see how sort of shady that yeah, is. Yes. Yeah, I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's and on top of it all, a lot of these big time creators, they they've made, you know, so much money like campaigns. I don't know cuz I don't really follow it, but there's a million dollars here, there's $400,000 there, there's $200,000 there. Like these are typical numbers for just a few that are in the circles 
the higher up popularity circles of CG. And yet, we, we are going on four years of, of it being uh, when they kind of first came on the scene, and their books have still not been delivered to customers. Oh, my God. A lot of them. Like, like a high majority of it, I would say. I don't know the actual numbers of the books, but you can go on these people's campaigns, and there are, like, hundreds of comments of people raging mad, raging mad, saying it was all a scam, they got duped, uh, it was all about consumers and holding creators accountable and getting quality books, and they don't have their books. Wow. They just got duped. <laughs> so whether or not these creators ever fulfill or not, I, I don't know. But uh, you can look at my campaign and see a positive reviews. That's, so good. I, That's good. Yeah, and it's supposedly coming from people who were disenfranchised, even professionals that worked in the mainstream, yeah. you would think that they'd be capable of doing better, like actually drawing a book in four years. Yeah, yeah. So it's a whole lot of mess. And it's that, a hot mess. <laughs> yeah, it is a hot mess, a very steamy yeah. a hot mess. Um, yeah. <laughs> But uh, I guess also you can say you can attribute uh, the fact that your books are going out uh, on time is not only from your past experiences, but your work ethic. You have a very good work ethic. Work, work, blah, 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 blah. Uh, work ethic. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I would hope so. I, I hope to think so. Um, Boobs actually started uh, about two years ago as a fundraiser. We were trying to do our own crowdfunding website and... I uh, ran into some trolls there, so I stopped. I honestly just stopped trying to help other creators because I found them to be very vicious, uh, nasty mm. individuals. And um, I kind of just gave up. Um, you know, I was tired of the, the toxicity. But um, I had a big retailer that was backing the book, and um, I was really pro-retailer. That's another, like, really, really hot industry talking point is a lot of comic shops have been closing down over the years. Yeah. Um, and, and the books being that most people seemed to really not like the changes in the characters, that whole organic growth thing, a lot of shops weren't able to sell those books. So it really is an interesting topic, you know, overall to observe and, and, and watch. But I was really pro retailer, um, and I didn't really taste the waters of what it, meant to go on Kickstarter and talk directly with the fans. That's been a whole wonderful, very enlightening experience this year where I just, I'm never going to go back to anything else. I really enjoy it. And I think it's the bee's knees. And I do work <laughs> with some retailers, but, <laughs> but the, the retailer, there was a big retailer backing the book and that was the most of my funding to get it done. And I didn't have it done. And then he backed out. He had some issues with his banks or bank or whatever. So um, that's cool. I still continued the book, but I did have a baby, and um, I I wasn't planning on doing all the work myself, and then I ended up doing it myself anyways. So all in all, it's turned into a really positive thing because it's pushed me to do sequentials and all of that and really hone in on my technical skills to be able to be capable of doing that. I think when I started this book, I was much less capable. Um, and now I'm much uh, faster and, and better at it. 
and I can actually put out a book every couple of months, whereas, you know, I, I struggled with that before. So I had to, I told everybody, hey, what happened? And I had to have my baby. <laughs> and I, it took about a year and a half or something like that. And then I said, and then I expanded it and I did it like double the size. And now here we are and it's launched. And that was just like maybe like 25 people, you know, that were backing it me over the years that I still kept in contact with for the most part. And um, now it's all been delivered, all except maybe like 12 or 15 people that I can't get a hold of uh, between both campaigns now and the Kickstarter, which did really well. And everybody's happy. Like, I don't have bad reviews. Um, and the fulfillment process went between the time when the Kickstarter ended and now it's been about uh, four weeks, I think, or something like that, six weeks maybe since it ended. And then I had to wait two or three weeks to get paid and get the books from the printer and I'm at 94% fulfilled. So I bust my butt every day, and um, I think there's no excuse for four years. <laughs> uh, I think that's way too long, especially yeah. with, you know, and I'm not, I didn't work for DC or Marvel. <laughs> I was never a sequential artist, so, um, yeah, it's just me pursuing this passion, honestly, is all that it boils down to, whatever the challenges may be, and I've kind of been batting off each wrong direction <laughs> until I finally, finally found the right one. And that's just uh, doing Kickstarter directly with the fans and having a blast doing it and laughing very instead nice. of enjoying drama. Very nice. Very nice. That's, what, that's what's very important. Vo drama free, please. Drama free. Um, <laughs> so where did Divinity Comics come from? What inspired you to create Divinity Comics? Well, now it's just the uh, the publishing company that's attached to Boobs because when Boobs did really well, we realized that we loved it so much <laughs> that you know, we'd, be, we'd have so many bad experiences. My husband, too, you know, he's a part of that, um, and he didn't really want anything to do with comics after that. And because I pursued this book and I continued, it be, it just became such a positive thing after the Kickstarter and during the Kickstarter when it was doing so well. It really changed our our hearts, you know, and minds about comics, realizing that we could still have fun and make creative things. Yeah. So we have about nine other stories in our heads uh, and have a lot of fun making stories together and writing them and coming up with concepts. And Divinity Comics is the publishing house you know the official one that we created so that we can put out these stories and we have another book coming out uh i imagine at the close to the end of this year like late fall that's called trip story and it's a parody uh it's a high buzz light year basically buzz <laughs> light year and <laughs> and we've hired an artist to do that and he's i want to say about three quarters of the way done right now oh, with wow. pencils and inks Nice. And it's been funny, you know, we're just enjoying ourselves now. So Divinity Comics allows us to put out more books other than just the ones that I personally draw, you know, to let us be able to put out more titles. Nice. So nine different books and uh, num uh, one of them besides boobs and uh, well, the other one is uh, Trip Story. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nice. So there's uh, seven more other stories. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, I, I won't reveal them all yet. You know, no, they're all okay. in different stages of the pipeline. All in due time. <laughs> all in due time. 
Uh, what do you want okay. to achieve with Divinity Comics? What is uh, what is the end goal or the uh, the what is that ladder that you're trying to climb with the Divinity Comics? Just wherever it goes, um, it's it's kind of been like watching the fall of Rome of the industry uh, for uh, mainstream indie CG whatever like all of it. It's kind of been like watching the fall of Rome over the past ten years. I I came into an industry that was just about to fall, you know, when I started, and that's kind of what I think has happened. I think. Uh, the big two have changed their business model. They started outsourcing. They changed their rates. They they were doing all this content nobody seems to really like. Uh, they still put out good things, I am told, but they definitely made a lot of people angry, and they and those people left. And then you have these other groups popping up. So uh, it's so much. I've tried to navigate the waters of all of these circles in the CG mainstream and found I wasn't really welcome in any of it. And I didn't really enjoy being there in the end in any of it. So it, sometimes you just don't get along with people yeah. and they're just not going to like you. And that's okay. You know, they don't have to understand me or like me or like the way I talk or like my work. That's fine. So the best fit for me and Divinity Comics is just doing our own stuff in our own space, you know, going on Kickstarter launching the books, and continuing to do just that. Like, boobs worked so well that there's no need to reinvent the wheel. So nice. my end goal with Divinity Comics is just wherever it goes. I, I even, even the convention scene has totally gone through major falling outs with fans and people and business models completely changed and big shows bought out other shows and now it's all anime. Yeah. Like, the, it's just been the fall of Rome, <laughs> seriously. Yeah. So... So my business model and my future is just to keep making fans happy. And it kind of goes back to that whole consumer movement. Like, I just enjoy making good books. So however I find that I can do that is what I want to do. And right now it looks like Kickstarter is 100% the answer. And screw everybody else. <laughs> nice. <laughs> do you. Do you. Yeah, uh... do you, boo. <laughs> <laughs> But that that's also a very uh, uh, I, I guess I, I'm not near I'm not close to the end but what I what we can also get from your story is uh, not only trial and error but cautionary tale as well or also an inspirational story uh, that you have uh, it may not uh, you know you want to go with the big companies and stuff like that but and uh, in, in your tale you know we learn maybe that's not the best way to go or maybe it's not the easiest way to go so doing something that you love for yourself and also for others uh, to enjoy as well as best as you can get them to enjoy it uh, is probably not not for everyone but it is one of the ways to go yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think it's the way to go. And and just as long as you put out the books, they will come. And yeah. if you put out books and don't deliver, then uh, yeah. you kind of ruin yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if you put out good books and people <laughs> like them and, and you do deliver, 
then I think that it's solid for you. And I think we've succeeded in doing that this year. And that took a lot of preparation. You know, when we first started talking, I mentioned how running the Kickstarter really played on my previous uh, work skills. Uh So that definitely, definitely came in handy. You know, I prepared a lot in advance and I made sure that we would be able to fulfill before we launched and uh, like used all every marketing skill that I had, which marketing in that way is really just making people happy, yeah. you know, and providing quality. Uh, and so it's it's where my home is. I'm really found my home, nice. but it's taken me almost ten <laughs> years. <laughs> hey, it made you who so. you are. It made you who you are, and and it, and it built the best version of Mindy Wheeler. Uh, that that could uh, be, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a weird world we live in, honestly, man. With the with all the digital stuff and the videos and the podcasts, I watch. I remember watching an interview with Jim Lee, and he said it took him ten years too, yeah. from the time he got his first like X Men cover or something like that, it, and then the time it felt him to feel really comfortable in the industry like he was comfortable with his work and his spot it took him 10 years so it's really is very similar timeline then between himself and me and on top of that he said that he didn't know if he'd be able to do it in the world if if back in the 90s we would have had youtube and twitter and all the criticism Mm -hmm. and all of the you know trolling and all of the issues and all the social media he said i didn't know i don't know if i would have made it or, you know, something to that effect. I don't know if I could have handled it, made it, some, whatever he said was really, it stuck with me. Yeah. Because the times have just changed so much. And not everyone is going to like you online. Yeah. <laughs> but you just got to keep going on. <laughs> yeah, I had a, uh, I came to, uh, one time on Twitter. I, I don't remember exactly what it was. But it was uh, some alpha male was talking some nonsense. And I gave my two cents. And uh, at the time, I had the the title of my uh, uh, of a book that I wrote uh, it was my header. And they said, "Oh, your book is gonna suck, and it's only gonna sell two copies." <laughs> and I was like, "Hey!" And I turned it around on him, and I said, "Hey, two copies would be fucking great, man." Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, nice. you get, just people just want to just tear you down just for the fuck of it, you know, it, because it, I guess it makes them feel better. But, you know, that's not the way to go, but that's just how people are. So what can you tell us about Boobs 2? Oh, Boobs 2 is awesome. Um, I I like it even better than Boobs 1. It's, <laughs> that you know, actually the first Issues, I think, are hard to write for pretty much any story because you have to really get people introduced to what's happening. And sometimes that can be less entertaining than once once you get into the storyline. You know, how many TV shows have you said, oh, it's a little slow at first, but it got good. Yeah. But even with that, I have not heard anybody really say they didn't enjoy boobs or thought it was slow or anything like that but because i personally know what's going to happen looking backwards i think issue one is pretty tame and i think it gets a lot funnier there's a lot more shock and awe and i think a lot more laughs so if they enjoyed the first one then they're definitely 
definitely, I think, going to enjoy the second one. It, it's been just as much fun to write, if not more. And then issue three is the same. I feel like issue three is a thousand times better than issue two because oh, wow. the story just keeps progressing. Just so I'm really enjoying it. Nice. Nice. So uh, uh, I don't know if you do get this, but uh, if you do, what is your cure for writer's artist block? You know, if there's something you you have something on the tip of your tongue or in the back of your brain and you want to put it down, but it's just not coming to you. What is your cure for that? What is your go to like, oh, I do this instead? Um. Well, there's two different answers there because there's writing and drawing, and I handle them differently. Uh-huh. I think they're two two very different processes. So, um, at least at least initially, actually, I can kind of combine the process when I'm working on pages. So that's cool. But um, the writing from say you have an idea and a story in your head, I would actually advise not to write it down. Uh, that sounds counterintuitive, but Stephen King gave this same advice. Uh, J.K. Rowling, she has a whole box of drawings and scribbles, and that's kind of how what I have laying around the house. But an actual script, I think you need to give it time to breathe. Uh, but that's just my per- own personal style. Some people really like to write it out. I don't. I like to just wait, and I wait for the moment that it clicks. And sometimes that takes days. Sometimes it takes weeks. Sometimes it takes years. There's another story I've been working on called Karma that when that publisher told me you need to put something on the Internet and get famous for it, and then we'll hire you, <laughs> I didn't. I wasn't interested in doing it, but I started to think, you know, if I, if it, that kind of set off a spark and I thought, well, what if I did come up with my own story? And that's when I started writing Karma. And so that was probably seven or eight years ago. And I write that book in my head just based off of aha moments. And I'll just, I'll get stuck and then I'll just wait. And like two weeks later or something, it'll just randomly hit me. So I think sometimes the best stories are, given a lot of room to breathe and just develop themselves. And I, I don't know how it works, but that's how I work when I write. It's just a lot of aha moments, uh-huh. and they come to me when they come. I, You know, they're on their own timeline, not on mine. Yeah. Uh, the funny coincidences write the story. Uh, for drawing, I just skip around to different projects. If I find that one uh, particular page or pose is difficult and I just really can't get past it, I'll go to something else and draw that for a while. Mm-hmm. And that's part of just project management. If you have a lot of things going, uh, it's good to just, instead of stopping completely, just move around because eventually and it'll all get done. Even if it's not the thing you wanted to get done first, it'll still all get done. And drawing, I will give you straight out of a DC artist uh, on Harley Quinn, his advice he gave to me was to put every drawing you do down for like a day or at least three hours, maybe a whole day. Look at it tomorrow. When you think you're done with it, look at it tomorrow. And I guarantee you things will jump out that you couldn't see before because for some reason when we draw, we get blind to the mistakes. So I'll do that a lot. I find that the best drawings of mine are usually ones I put down several times throughout the process, and I come back, and then I say, oh, that arm is off, Uh, and then I'll fix it. So that that helps, having a set of fresh eyes. Nice, nice. So I'd hate to make 
to to get towards the end of this, but because you're you're so good, you're so great. Uh, any final words of wisdom for for the people listening? Um. Well, you know, I think that people there's a lot of creative people out there, and being a very creative person who totally rejected art <laughs> as a career for a long time, but also very naturally gravitated towards being creative. I think if you are a creative person and you're listening to this, uh, and you might not even know how creative you are, if you're not actively being creative, it gets frustrating and even depressing. I think there's something neurologically that people who are creative uh, really like need that outlet. Um, yeah, I, I, so my best advice is to pursue that. And eventually, you know, you might have a lot of trials and errors. Dunk on mine, you know, make fun of mine as, as much as you want. If it makes you feel better, just, I don't care. It took, it took me 10 years of doing all the wrong things, I guess, to find the right thing. But eventually something will click and then the pieces will fall into place and, and it'll make sense. So if that's your passion, I say go after your passion, but don't be afraid also to go into it knowing that it might just take 10 years <laughs> to get there. <laughs> slow and steady wins the race, folks. Slow yes, and slow and right, exactly. <laughs> uh, Mindy Wheeler, where can people find you? Oh, all over the internet and good and bad places i'm sure uh <laughs> depends on what perspective are you're you, coming are you from on threads yet <laughs> am i on what uh threads that the new place Thread. then no i don't know what that is uh uh mark zuckerberg said fuck you to elon musk and <laughs> said hey i'm doing my own twitter but the only caveat is that it's connected to your instagram uh you to log oh. in you have to uh it's like you use the same login as I guess your Instagram. You know. Oh, though, okay. Yeah, so even though you're it's a separate thing in per se, but it's still like the the I guess the skeletal structure is connected to Instagram, but everything else is just a brand new type thing and you know, it's kind it's very much like Twitter, but you know, it has its differences. If you check it out, you'll see what I'm talking about, but it it's uh it's interesting. Interesting, you know you could. That is interesting. Huh? Oh, I said yeah. That, that's an interesting sounding. Yeah, yeah. Literally, Mark Mark Zucker, it's Zuckerberg, right? Yeah, Zuckerberg. He said, "Fuck you, yes. Elon. I'll do my own Twitter." Well, I think they're fighting. Didn't they challenge each other to a fist fight, and they're going to fist fight? No, for real. Yes. Yeah, for real. For real. I think it was Elon that challenged him, and then they're going to air it on UFC or something. They have some partnership there. Oh, I feel, I'm pretty sure Two it's 100% real. Two nerds <laughs> trying to fight. <laughs> See, there's drama everywhere. <laughs> I know, but it's like, it's like, could you picture it? Two pasty, skinny nerds. Just putting on these gloves and they're ready to go down, throw down, and it's just—I that's the funniest thing I could picture. Oh I know, God. I know, me too. I can't <laughs> wait to watch. It. You watch some of this? Yeah, I watch some of this. You want some of this? Yeah, I want some of this. Let's go. 
And then just start doing math equations and shit. I I don't have a dog in the fight for either. I, I I equally want to see just like what happened. Yeah, neither do I. Neither do I. I. I could care less. Mark Zuckerberg looks like a freaking robot, and Elon Musk is just for what he's done to Twitter. He's just a horrible person. I that I mean, it was it was perfect as is, and he's like, oh, I want to change this and this and this and this that I don't like. I don't care what anybody else, you know. So they both deserve each other. Uh, so you're you're all over the interwebs except threads so far. We'll see if you if you join up. If you do, let me know. I'll follow yep. you right away. Uh, oh, thanks. Okay, I'll check course. it out. Sometimes it's hard to keep up with the platforms. Uh, oh, yeah. I think I'm most active on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I think Instagram I like the best because it's just visually based, so you can just go on and see my art. You know, yeah. and. So, voila, there it is. But if you want to hear me talk about things, uh, <laughs> you might not agree with anything. But I, I am a proponent that people should be able to get along regardless of whether or not they agree. Yes. And that stance of mine, it, I think, has been what has been so controversial about me, like going back into the mainstream that people didn't like. Really? Is because I've always been, yeah, because I've always been the proponent that, you can have different political opinions and still get along to, with someone face-to-face. But you see, I think they were after the outrage, like the opposition. They yeah. wanted people to fight. Yeah. And that's the same in, in CG a lot, and you'll find that. So my actually easygoing attitude when it comes to just having conversations with people and being human with them, I think, is is one of the most controversial points uh, in the <laughs> wow. At least that's how it does in the past, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm pretty chill. If you ever yeah. want to talk to me? I'm yeah, like, hands are open. I believe the same. I believe the same thing. You can have all kinds of different views as long as you have respect. Uh, uh, respect it goes a long way for me. Um, you know, it, I agree. Yeah, it, uh, as long as we respect, you don't have to agree with my views, but at least respect me enough to be like. You know, just avoid, like, uh, look over them and look at me as a person, you know? Exactly. I know I recently attempted to go on a YouTube stream and I said, do you want to hear the story of what happened of, of this and that? And they said, yeah. And I feel like it really didn't go well. Um, and then I think they were laughing at me when I got off and calling me a whiner. So <laughs> I'm like, that's just what you'll find online. I, I got pretty thick skinned about it now, but the moral of that story is just that some people will just not understand other people. Like people are just naturally not going to get along sometimes. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just going to happen. So if you're chill and you get that and you get that people are going to say things and not get along, but at the same time, not care, you know, and it's just the world is going to go around and we're all figuring out how to live in the digital age. Yeah. But it all comes down to good books. And and there's a really positive thing I got going on with boobs and having fun with that. And that is like the the steak of my life. The, what's it called? The prime rib or oh, nice. just the, the cherry on top. Yeah, that's what top. I got going on for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, many blessings to you, Mindy Wheeler. You are a great person, a good person. Uh, I wish you all, all the success in the world, which you're already getting, but continued success. Um, 
really all the best to you, to your husband and to your team, uh, Team D, I believe it's called. Yeah, that's what we called it. Nice. <laughs> yep. Uh, Divinity Comics, I hope it becomes one of the biggest things out there. Um, yeah, I just thank you so very much. Thank you so very much. Oh, you, thank you. You've been enlightening. Yeah, yeah, you're very nice. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, you've been enlightening. You've been fun. You've been funny. Uh, thank you again. Thank you so much. Uh, this is probably one of my biggest. Uh, uh, not not to. Don't get me wrong about my other interviews, uh, but this is uh, pretty uh, pretty big for me. So uh, thank you so Aww. very much. Um, I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, you have a great day, week, month, year, uh, everything. And uh, when Boobs 2 comes out, I hope you come on back onto the show and we talk about that one. I love that. I love that. It's been my pleasure. You've, you've made a, a really good day out of my day, and I'm going to go back and listen to this, and it's, it's definitely on my my good list, too. I, I re- You personally have been such a... a piece of sunshine in my dms on twitter you're very oh. very sweet and so thank you for having me <laughs> don't, on don't, don't make me yeah. blush <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> well we'll talk around again when boobs 2 comes and and dm me anytime thank for you sure. again thank you so much you have a great one you All too right. bye-bye Alrighty. bye wow so, just wow fantastic person a uh, very good person uh boobs is this is the book you can find it on kickstarter and and i will post all the links to find it and her on uh the description in the description of uh today's episode um thank you all so much for listening uh shout out to everyone uh and until next time folks peace out